the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is brought to you by The Athletic. Happy NFL Draft Day. First round, at least. Visit theathletic.com slash spot track, S-P-O-T-R-A-C, for 40% off your yearly subscription. Get all your NFL draft coverage during the draft, after the draft. I'm sure there'll be plenty of grades immediately after the draft, maybe during the picks. Keep up with them on Twitter, on Instagram. They're everywhere. It's a gigantic source for all of your sports news from all of your favorite writers and podcasters and all that fun stuff. Theathletic.com slash spot track. My name is Mike Giannetti. Of course, we're going to have a little NFL draft edition today. Joined later in the show by Scott Allen, our data guru who's got tons of fun facts and figures to come with the upcoming draft breakdowns and trends based on wide receivers and running backs and good things like that. Some college breakdowns, which colleges have been the most impactful in the past decade worth of drafts. And uh, we'll get some gambling in there as well, because there's some fun prop surrounding this 2020 draft. Before that, I'm going to have a conversation with the Draft Network senior NFL draft analyst, Benjamin Solak, who just does a ton of work. He writes tons of articles. He does tons of mock drafts, big boards. He's been scouting these players, creating these big boards and perspective sheets and scouting reports for the entire year. And uh, he had some great things to say about his process in evaluating these players. What happens when a position like the wide receiver position is so loaded? And what does that mean for, you know, from a team perspective, from a GM perspective, and from a player perspective? Are we going to see CeeDee Lamb or one of these players go way up the board? His take on the quarterback's He's got a lot to say about the offensive tackles in this draft as well, which I thought was very interesting. And any of you who have listened to this, this show over the past couple of days, I've been hammering on the offensive line situation for a lot of these teams with upper draft picks. A lot of fun to have him on the show. Hope you enjoy that. Uh, we'll be back probably tomorrow to recap this whole thing, this whole first round. Hopefully there's some fireworks we can discuss. You never know with this whole virtual remote thing. It may go a little bit more chalk than we want. That's just That might be a reality. Hopefully not too many glitches, although you can bet on that. <laughs> which you can learn later about later in the show. Other than that, enjoy my conversation with Benjamin Solak. Really happy to be joined now by the Draft Network's Benjamin Solak, Senior Draft Analyst and Special Projects Director. Thanks for joining the show, and tell me a little bit about what you're doing over there at the Draft Network. Yeah, no, so we're excited at the, at the Draft Network, man. This is our Christmas week. We have a good time. We like to, to run the market and do as much as we can, so we cover the draft. Uh, year round, a lot of the stuff that we put out is is good for the year. The mock draft simulator that we have, which allows you to to pick for your teams. You know, you can trade picks with premium subscription. The build your own big board interface. Uh, we have an expert forum, and we have uh, a ton of portfolio content, which is our big uh, you know graphics produced content for all of these teams. There's team specific guides. There's quarterback charts. We go about as deep into the draft as anybody else, and we like to do it 365. So it's all been building up for this week. We're excited to get here. Yeah, the site's been incredible. It's been really fun to see you guys grow and build this thing out. And uh, you're a big part of it. I mean, your articles are, are, are not small. Let's put it that way. You're putting some real work into this stuff. I'm going to give you my last question first here. Have you already started on the 2021 draft? Yes and no. You, you don't start on the 2021 draft on purpose, but eventually it just kind of starts on you, you know. And if, if uh, the first time I did anything on 2021 was 2019 <laughs> when I was at Purdue, Ohio State, watching that game for... Dwayne Haskins and Terry McLaurin and Marcus Bailey and then a slew of other prospects. And there was this young scat receiver named Rondale Moore who had himself a 200-yard day for Purdue. And as a true freshman, you write that name down. He said, well, we're coming back to this guy in two years, right? So 2021 just kind of leaks in. That's always the nature of it. 
And then, yeah, as we uh, as we look at the 2020 draft, one of the things that we'll be doing on our site is flipping over to 2021 right away. So we're already starting to prepare materials and rankings and, and the mock draft simulator for the 2021 class so that we can be ready to go. And, and like I said, it's 365 around here. Yeah, I imagine your world is kind of like my world with, with a different theme where you really can't look away. There's always something happening. There's always some kind of news breaking. It's just kind of hard to, to stop and walk away from it. So yeah, so let's get down into it. Before we get into the draft, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you this question. I know you actually wrote a piece on it, and we've certainly talked about it over here at Spot Track. Uh, the Rob Gronkowski's unretirement slash trade to Tampa Bay, it's going to have an impact on this draft, right? I mean, uh, first of all, what kind of impact does he have as a player right now coming out of retirement? And then what's, the, what's this going to mean for Tampa Bay and maybe some other teams in this draft? Two ways to look at it when it comes to Gronkowski's ability, right? You would say, listen, a year off from football can really help a guy. In terms of Gronkowski's retirement, which was at a bit of a younger age for him, came because he wasn't able to string together any healthy years, right? He had five consecutive years where he was unable to start all 16 games in the regular season. Now, Gronk leaves for a year, loses some weight, he's not dealing with the amount of pain that he was dealing with, and all of a sudden Brady and Tampa probably won't be dealing with the same strict Spartan approach to the, the season as you dealt with in New England. I think he probably sees an opportunity for a lot of the fun of playing football with potentially a lot less of the hurt now that he's kind of back to full strength. You also could wonder if he's ever going to return to his Gronkian capacity because of the time off that he took, because of his now a little bit loosened relationship with football. I don't think we'll ever see 100% Gronk again, and certainly the 2018 season revealed to us that we're probably never going to get him at full capacity. But what remains really important about Gronk is the chemistry that he has with Brady. Brady is throwing to all new receivers for the first time ever because you know typically he stayed in New England and they've certainly cycled through guys, but there's always been an Edelman or a Welker or somebody that he's thrown to for a couple of seasons. Now it's all new caps, and Gronkowski brings you a level of familiarity, which is especially exciting in the red zone, uh, which is where Gronkowski's always been the most dominant. Among the tight ends, he's clearly the number one in the red area. That's the scoring area. That's what counts. So he's still going to help that offense, even if he's at 80%, and he's still going to uh, be a big part of the passing game, even if Arians' offense typically doesn't target tight ends because of that chemistry with Brady. How it impacts the class is interesting. This is a weak tight end class, and there's not a lot of tight end needs because it's typically not a valued position. O.J. Howard being moved would be the most interesting thing, the most interesting ripple. I think you look at teams like Dallas and Pittsburgh and Green Bay as having tight end needs. That's where you could see uh, Howard end up getting a home for maybe that same about value, that fourth-round pick. Other than that, I don't think this will change things too much. The Patriots will probably still go tight end on day two, maybe day three, depending on how the board falls to them. But, you know, woe to the analyst who tries to predict what the Patriots do in the draft. I'm not going to fall down that rabbit hole. So before we move on, I agree with everything you just said. I think I've, I've said most of it, especially the part about O.J. Howard. Two questions, though, on him. I, I agree with your assessment on, on Gronkowski. I mean, you, you're right. 2018 was a mess. They basically had to baby him the whole season just to get him into the postseason. If, if there's a version of that in 2020, shouldn't Tampa Bay consider just keeping O.J. Howard and having depth at the position when, when clearly this is a bit of an all-in move for them? I think so. But I, I, the difficult thing is Tampa Bay can consider that as much as they like. You got to get O.J. Howard and his agent on the horse. Yeah. And with how long Howard has been on the trade market and clearly on the trade block, and for now a clear move when they extended Bray and now the uh, signing of Ronkowski that they don't think that Howard's going to be a future part of the offense. 
I don't think Howard's going to be interested in playing a blocking second fiddle to Gronkowski. It just doesn't serve his earning potential in the future of his career. The best move for him now is he looks down the barrel of, you know, the final year on his contract before the fifth year option. He's got to get somewhere where he can get volume to show that he can still produce if he's going to continue to have a, a, a profitable career, a, a big money career, I should say, in the league. And so I, I like, I think, yeah, certainly, like, I think, it's good to have OJ Howard and Gronk certainly better than just having Gronk or just having Howard. You got to get Howard on the bus and that's going to be a tough sell. Yeah, you're right. And that fifth year option decision is about two weeks away, which is pretty bad timing for this whole process. The, the other right. part, of, the other part of this that I, I have, to, I'm guessing GMs are sitting around asking this question as well. Why didn't the Patriots include OJ Howard in that trade return? If they're that down on him, if, if they would rather go into the second round and get somebody in a bad tight end class, how tough is OJ Howard's value right now if the Patriots didn't even want that in return for Gronk? Right, and that's the thing. is like In terms of tight end needy teams, the Pats are up there. So if the Pats ain't want Howard and they already had a trade in place that they could have tried to tag him onto, you do really start to wonder, don't you? How are we going to be able to get this guy off of our roster? I think that the Patriots passing on Howard doesn't obviously speak for every single team. And what you may see is at the end of the draft week, a team that was hoping to add a tight end maybe is unable to. Green Bay is a team that's got a fair bit of need in terms of starters on that roster. If they all of a sudden fall at around three, round four, and they haven't added a tight end to potentially start next to Jay Sternberger, compete with Sternberger for the job, that's when maybe you could see them go to the, the box and say, all right, what's going to be the price for this guy? It's worth just the effort just to see if we can get a different body in here, increase our chances on hitting on at least one of these guys. So at this point, especially as teams, you know, we're 24 hours away now, you never really want to build trades with 2020 picks this close to the draft because if the player fails as physical, it's difficult to build in the repercussions of that because that 2020 pick is already off the board. It's already been made. And so we're probably will see teams wait until after the draft and then reassess their needs there and see what the value on Howard's going to be. But like you said, that window on the fifth year is closed and tight. So it's a tricky situation all across. Yeah. So you'd probably say that then for Trent Williams as well. And any of these players who are sort of on the trade block right now, probably going to wait till after the draft. Yeah. That's the most important thing with, with Williams. If he's, if his price tag is a first rounder, that's a 2021 first, because you'd have to get his physical done. Uh, unbelievably quickly, or you'd have to have a big, uh, you know, repercussion, a big kicker, and if any fails this physical in terms of getting draft capital back as a result of the trade falling through. And I, I don't, that's like, I remember we spoke with Mike Tannenbaum on one of the Draft Networks podcasts, and he brought this up and saying, this is why you don't see players traded on draft day. It's because it's logistically so difficult to hammer out those details on such a short time frame. So if we're talking about a first return of Williams, I think we're talking about 2021 picks at this point. We're just too close to the draft. Yeah, and all that's escalated about 3,000 times this year in our current situation, right? So yeah, I agree with you. I think there's going to be less movement than people are, are anticipating because here's where I want to go with this. Obviously, this is a wide receiver class. We've heard that over and over and over again. Here's my question to you, Ben. There's I don't know, three, four, maybe five wide receivers who are first round worthy, including what you've, you've mocked out a couple of times here, but none of them, I think 12, 13 is where I'm seeing the first one go. Is it that none of them are worthy of that top five, that Julio Jones type uh, draft selection? Is it GMs value these guys differently now? And because you need, you know, two to three of them, not just one elite one, you can't just go up and get somebody that high and, and serve a top 10 pick on a guy like this. Or is it simply that because there's, you know, eight to 10 good wide receivers, there's no need to reach high? 
Yeah, I, I do agree with you. People say it's a historically strong wide receiver class. I agree with that. But when we talk about the strength of a class, we have to talk about it in two different ways. Are we talking about the strength at the top? We're talking about the strength in terms of depth. Right. I think that this offensive tackle class is extremely strong, and it's strong both ways. This wide receiver class is wicked strong, but it's strong because the depth is just bananas, right? Like, it's just silly how many good players we've got in this group. Certainly when you start looking at potential top five picks, I don't think in this class you have a guy who makes sense there. C.D. Lamb is graded as a top ten player for me. Uh, LaVisca Chenault, who obviously has the injury concerns, if he were healthy, he'd be a top 15 player for me, just off of my scale in this class. But once you start comparing those players with the depth you could attack later, well, you don't want to be spending those picks on those guys because you can get better bang for your buck, better transactional value later in the draft in round two and in round three. Uh, So we typically see early drafted wide receivers, number one, when there's a bit more talent at the top, and number two, when there's scarcity in the middle round, and we certainly don't have scarcity here. Uh, so I think that, yeah, you're going to see teams wait until after the top 10 to start running on wide receivers. And I think you're going to see a little bit of a waiting game, a little bit of a staring contest, some patience before all of a sudden there's a big blitz. And probably the second round is where it's going to start. That would be my anticipation as of right now. Okay, so as you're evaluating this, how much does supply or quantity or volume factor into your ranking? For instance, let's say there were four legitimate wide receivers, you know, worthy of maybe the first two rounds this year instead of maybe 10. Is CeeDee Lamb a top five pick at that point? Is he that kind of talent or is he still maybe six, seven, eight for you, even though there's not that many wide receivers anymore? Yeah, this is the advantage I have, right? Doing my job and not doing a GM's job because my, you know, I've got the unfortunate reality of having to evaluate for 32 teams. So I take a scheme specific player and I go, well, it's tough to slot this guy because For some teams, he's going to be high up their board, and for some teams, he's going to be off their board. But the advantage I have is once I I rank these players, I rank them, and I don't have to do risk analysis, and I don't have to do you know uh, transactional comparisons between potential picks and project who's going to be their left brain. Obviously, that becomes my job by the end of the year, right? We talk to as many as many people as we can. We understand the class, and we try to get a feel for where the runs are going to be, where the fallers are going to be. But that that question in and of itself is the exact difficulty of NFL teams right now. It's how much do I value these top guys relative to the strength at the bottom of the class? You have to be able to play all 31 other games as well, knowing that you probably view the class a little differently than the other teams. For me personally, when it comes to this class, I, you know, as I'm an Eagles fan, a lot of Eagles fans want the Eagles to trade up from 21 to 13 if CeeDee Lamb or Jerry Judy is still there. I'm out on that sort of a process. To me, like I, I, I look at a class where I've got seven, eight receivers graded between 30 and 60. And I just say, listen, I'm going to be able to chill. I'm going to be able to get a player who at the very least is going to be, I expect to be a wide receiver too for me. And I'm just going to get him at a better value with, with less risk than taking that receiver, trading up to get him, spending multiple picks to get him. I'm playing this class safe. I'm waiting on this wide receiver class. I'm much more likely to go early into this edge class, into this linebacker class, uh, into this off the tackle class. Edge linebacker are top heavy uh, this year. There's not uh, there's not a lot of great players at the top, but it's not strong classes overall. So you got to get those top those potential starters when you can. And then this tackle class, like I said, those big four are really special players. Uh, so you land one of those. I'm going after that in the top of the first round. 
Yeah, I want to get to the tackles next, but uh, I think the Eagles need to stand pat as well and just get through this Elshon Jeffrey situation for a year and then come back next year and maybe go take a reach for a wide receiver. But that's a team that got themselves in a little bit of a rut. You're right. So uh, let's talk about tackles. Yeah. You've got a great headline on, on an offensive tackle piece. Essentially, stop reaching for high ceiling tackles. And tell me why you think that, even though you think this is a phenomenal class. Right. So what this and this uh, boils down to the exact sort of thing we're talking about. And I don't know, maybe it's when you you fall into these uh, you get into draft season, you just start thinking about things in terms of, of markets and economics. And that's just the paradigm I use. But listen, I'm, I'm when I bring on a developmental player, I'm incurring risk. Right. This is a high ceiling, low floor player. So I'm bringing on a guy with a high bust potential, which obviously is offset by uh, the potential for him to become a starter, the potential for him to become a valuable player. When you're when you start learning how to slot these guys, when you go through the process of checking your previous boards and how players slotted out, we typically talk about year two and year three starters, i.e. players that need development, as round three picks, round three grade. That's where you want to be attacking. And for most positions, that's what you see. Cornerback, wide receiver, guys who are going to start in future years. At offensive tackle, we started drafting these guys in round one. And the reason that they get drafted in round one, it goes down to some some occupational hubris some approaches from nfl coaches and scouts that is you know some vested knowledge some inherent sense of what they can do we're going to talk about some great athletes with some bad technique if because i'm an nfl offensive line coach i can develop that guy to be a starter i'm good at my job i'm certain i can do this well there's a lot in that process that's outside of your control and when we when we talk about college tackles what we're seeing in an age where edge rushers are so good and practice time is being cut down is that tackles are more frequently raw than they used to be. They are more frequently underdeveloped and, and have some panic tendencies and some bad habits just because of the limits on practice time. So now if you're going to draft a player with low, with, with poor technique who needs technical work, why not draft the best athletes? I get that aspect of it, but I can make those picks on really raw, really good athletes in round three. They're still there. Alex Taylor out of South Carolina State was a basketball center convert to tackle. He's 6'9", with a wingspan the size of a pterodactyl. And he's about as likely to develop into a starter as Ezra Cleveland, who ran a 4'9", and a multiple-season starter at Boise State, and he has the same technical issues. But Taylor's gotten less attention and coaching for not as long. That's the player I want to develop, and I can get him cheaper. So we're, we're, we've got a, a market inefficiency here in terms of teams are incurring a lot of early-round risk that – yeah, you're still going to be taking on that risk when you draft Alex Taylor, but you're going to be doing it two rounds later. So it's a much less valuable pick, and so it's a lot safer of a decision, in my opinion. So if, if you want these developmental tackles, wait on them. They'll still be there later, and even though it'll be a, a, a high-risk, high-reward pick, you won't have spent big capital on it. Am I, am I seeing this right? Do you have eight offensive tackles in your first-round mock draft? Yeah, I mean, so we've been told – so the big four are going – Mackay Beckton, Tristan Wirfs, Andrew Thomas, Jedrick Wills. I mean, these guys could be off the board in, in the top ten. It's nuts. And then we've been told Isaiah Wilson got so many fans that he's probably a first-rounder. We know that Josh Jones has been a first-rounder for a while. Ezra Cleveland has got huge fans in the league because, like I said, he tested like not better than Cole Miller. I mean, he's the best tester we've had in years. And then there's Austin Jackson, who remains a, a bit of a wild card. I wouldn't call him having a great chance. I don't think he has a bad chance. He's somewhere in the middle. So seven to eight is my guess for the amount of offensive tackles in round one. Wow. And so the report today that the Dolphins might trade in ahead of the Giants to take the, the best tackle in the draft, you think that's crazy, obviously. I could not tell you what's happening here, man. I mean, like, I'd love to be able to, but I can't keep it straight. I don't know 
If yeah, but you don't think you don't think it's worth it is what I'm saying, because there's no. four to five guys that are going to be at, at least worth it in the first round. And you think there's a bunch in the second and the third you could take as well. Right. Right. I mean, my main thing is if you're talking about the top four guys, it's too they're too good to say with certainty that one is better than the other, right. in my opinion. So why are you trading up for one? Stay at five and take the second best one. If your first best one leaves, I know it'll hurt because you like him best, but he's just about as likely to be good as the second best guy. It goes back to degrees of certainty and the extent to which we overestimate our ability to evaluate. So I would I would stay at five to take the tackle, but I wouldn't even be taking the tackle at five. I'd be taking the quarterback at five because <laughs> that's why you had a bad season and that's why you got all these picks. It was to go get a quarterback. So don't change the plan at the eleventh hour. I don't know what the Dolphins are doing, man. Uh, I love it. I love that they've got 14 picks and none of us have a clue what they're doing with any of them. All right, let's go. Yeah. Let's go rapid fire to finish this off. I want to get you out of here. So we mentioned, you know, Cincy, Miami, the Chargers, the teams that are surrounded by the quarterback pretty easily here. Give me a team that we're not talking about a lot. Who's going to swoop up maybe into the first or into the second and take one of these quarterbacks that we're not thinking about Falcons, maybe the Lions, the Raiders, maybe the Saints. Who's going to who's going to be that team? Yeah, I would. The, it's always difficult to say. The team that freaks me out the most is, are the Raiders. And simply, you know, Gruden and quarterbacks yeah. has always been a difficult relationship. And Derek Carr just does not have juice. Like he's, you can win with him. Like you can get a good roster around him and, and win some games. But if we're talking about you got to beat the Chiefs at least once in the season to win the division, and you probably have to beat them again in the playoffs to make it through the AFC. You can't be running Derek Carr out as your quarterback. He doesn't have enough gas to hang with Patrick Mahomes for four quarters, and no defense in the league has enough gas to hang with Patrick Mahomes for four quarters. That's your division. You've got to bring some more playmaking ability to quarterback. I would not be surprised if the Raiders like Jordan Love. Gruden especially is going to like that arm talent. Gruden does like good processors, though, and that is the question with Love. If he feels comfortable, he can teach Love how to run the offense. Love to the Raiders at some point in the first round would be the least surprising those still pretty surprising of all the weird quarterback outcomes that could come to pass. Okay. I'll accept that. I like that uh, because Gruden is definitely a wild card for sure. Who's the guy in your mock drafts that really nobody else is talking about, but you're dead set in this guy. Oh, tricky, tricky, tricky. And it's funny because I, you know, I, I put a mock out yesterday evening and 24 hours later, I disagree with half of it. <laughs> but, you know, that's kind of the, that, that's kind of the nature of how we go. I will say this: uh, We were told at the end of, at the end of the season, especially ramping up to the Senior Bowl, that Arizona State wide receiver Brandon IU had a good chance to go in the first round. And then some other guys tested really well, right? Denzel Mims had great testing. Michael Pittman out of USC had great testing. But I haven't heard as much run for them as round one players as I heard about IU even back then. And IU was injured for the Senior Bowl; he was limited in his testing, or he still he ran pretty well. Uh, I still think IU has a better chance to go round one than players like Denzel Mims and Michael Pittman, who are a little bit more hot, you know, the prospects of the jour right now. I would still say Ayuk is more likely to go round one. 30 to Green Bay is the spot I circle that interests me as a landing spot for the, uh, the Arizona State kid. If I'm a running back and I'm hoping to be drafted this year in 2020, am I even watching Thursday night or am I waiting until Friday? <laughs> From what we're from what's leaking as we get closer, you're watching on Thursday. It'll be late, um, but this is a pretty good running back class. The tricky thing is always figuring out which team drafts the running back because it usually is a team that we don't expect. Kansas City is kind of the popular one this year, but Reed doesn't really strike me as a first round running back guy. Right. If it is Kansas City, I would say Clyde Edwards Alaire is the top running back off their board. Uh that's Brian Westbrook comps. So Reed's gonna be familiar with that player. He's gonna love throwing him the football. The other team to watch out for is Tennessee. 
Derrick Henry on the franchise tag. And if they're smart, they don't want to pay Henry. But they also know that they run a pretty physical brand of football and they need a good back who can hang out for 16 games. That's a Jonathan Taylor, maybe a, a DeAndre Swift. We know DeAndre Swift is the top running back on a lot of boards in the league. And so maybe there's a trade-up for Swift if a team likes him. I would say you do have to watch on Thursday, though. Maybe you don't have to turn it on until the back half of the first round, but you're going to have to watch. So you're thinking there's a chance maybe even more than one. Because you're right. These are crazy athletes. I mean, these, in any other generation yeah. of football, these guys are, are up there in the first round. But it's just life as a running back right now. All right, last one, man. This has been great. What's the headline I'm waking up to Friday morning? What's the big thing? I mean, maybe you already dropped the lead with a, with a Raiders move, but is it is it something besides that? I think it's Patriots get their new quarterback. Oh my goodness! I think goodness. That, that if there's, yeah, I think if there's, I think if if there's something that's gonna dominate headlines on Friday, it would be obviously the Patriots' successor to Brady. I'm not sold that they'll go after in round one. I'm not sold that they'll go after it at all. They seem to really like Stidham, but that team just picked up a, a free fourth round pick in the Gronkowski trade. They didn't know they were gonna have right. They, he wasn't gonna be on the roster, and all of a sudden he's still not on the roster. But they have another fourth rounder, so now that puts them at two fourths three sixths and like two sevenths and an extra five, something like that. Crazy. They've got three threes because of context. They got an unbelievable amount of capital in the back half of the draft. So you can move up a little bit, but you could also start packaging next year's picks with some of those late round picks and move up a lot. Uh, so the Patriots are the team to watch. If they like a guy and he starts falling, they'll strike. All right. This is Benjamin Solak, Director of Special Projects and Senior NFL Draft Analyst for the Draft Network. And we'll have you back soon. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Mike. I appreciate it. Before we get there, I want to talk to you a little bit about Fantasy Pros. While most sports are currently at a standstill, it's never too early to start preparing for your fantasy football draft. And there's no better place, no better resource than Fantasy Pros with their flagship Draft Wizard product, Mock Draft Simulators, and so much more. There's just so many tools on this website, you guys. You can customize for any format you play. They also have an app with updated fantasy news so that's something you're going for every morning especially sunday morning when you're looking for a start who to start who to sit who's going to be injured all that good stuff they've got it uh, the whole gamut the whole process of your fantasy draft your in-season your dynasty situation it's all it's all taken care of you can run mock drafts in a matter of minutes against realistic opponents prepare for any scenario you may face when it's time to really do the draft visit fantasypros.com slash spot track dash nfl today and get a head start now that's fantasypros.com slash spotrek dash NFL. All right, Scott, welcome back to the show. Let's talk some draft numbers, some nerdy numbers, right? Let's get to the, uh, <laughs> the bets, the, uh, the props, some, uh, some trends from the past, wherever you yeah. want to start, take it away. You got the, uh, you got the goods over there. Yeah. Let, let's start with 20 years ago, Sebastian Janikowski was drafted in the first round. <laughs> got to pick on the kickers right away, huh? <laughs> I do. <laughs> uh, 2000, round one, drafted number 17 overall. Uh, ESPN had a really nice article on him and the, the draft process with him. He, yeah. he had no clue it was coming. He's actually earned $53 million. He's the number one overall special teams uh, earner of all time right now, two million more than Adam Vinatieri, and so he's probably that, done right. I don't think I don't yeah, think he's coming back. So yeah, and, and so with that, I, I looked at um, punters and kickers uh, just for fun <laughs> since 2011, just to see there's been 14 punters and 16 kickers drafted 
uh, since 2011. I use that as the threshold for the rookie wage scale. Mm -hmm. Uh, the, the earliest that a punter has gone is Brian Anger. He was drafted by Jacksonville in round three in 2012. And the earliest kicker was Roberto Aguo. Uh, <laughs> I know I murdered that name, but... Uh, we'll edit uh, that out. Probably not. <laughs> Tampa Bay round two in 2016. Uh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I do too. And it didn't work out. Okay. Um, so a uh, little... Well, I'll, I'll throw a little tidbit there. back to you then. I, I tweeted it the other day. I wonder if you saw it or not. There's only one team in the league without a kicker right now. Do you know who it is? Mm, New England? Yeah. Let's literally, they literally do not have a kicker signed. They're, yeah. they're like the smartest fantasy draft team in the league right now. They're waiting until the eighth round to get, to, uh, to <laughs> sign the kicker for the year. I don't know what they're waiting on. Do they think Guskowski is going to be healthy and they can re-sign him cheaper? I wonder if they're waiting waiting that out. To see Maybe. how, see if he's 100 percent, if he uh, can get back in a form on a cheaper contract. And certainly, I understand them. I mean, they've got a million dollars to work with. So you yeah, can most of these guys that. have been in the fifth, sixth, seventh round, from what I was looking at. But I, I found it interesting that we have had. Um, that's within, what people came for, Scott. They came for kicker numbers, so that's why yeah. we, that's what we're you doing here. Hold <laughs> on, I'm quickly going to our site here to see something. When is Justin Tucker going to pass? Oh my goodness. It's not close. It's not close. No, it isn't. So Robbie Gold's the active goat right now. Thirty-five. He's <laughs> he's still twenty million behind Janikowski, and he's yep. done. This is probably it for him. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So pretty interesting stuff. Twenty years ago, he was drafted and didn't even realize he was going to go as high as he did. And yeah. Wow. Yeah, he's going to hold that belt. I think for. I mean, Guskowski's at thirty-six. Yeah, especially with the kicking game being, you know. Oh, it's fallen way off, but yeah, the good the ones value. have. I mean, Tucker's been paid, but yeah. he, I mean, nowhere. He's, he's literally has half. He has half the career earnings of Janikowski. He's never getting there. That's really interesting stuff. All right, let's flip to the uh, 2020 draft. What do you say? Yeah, so um, I looked at the college aspect of the draft. And so based on the mock drafts that I've looked at, I tried to compile as best as possible. And then I converted this into how did the colleges of players earn mm -hmm. uh, in their money? So right now, Alabama is projected to have between five and six picks in the first round, depending on what mock draft you're looking at. LSU's One of the thousand four. you looked at, yeah. Yeah, LSU has four, Clemson has three, and then a bunch have two, like Auburn, Oklahoma, Ohio State, Iowa, TCU. Uh, so I, I looked at since 2011, mm -hmm. all of the earnings of players through 2019. Alabama has had 72 players drafted, and they've earned a combined $758 million. <laughs> That's why Nick Saban is Nick Saban. Ohio State has had 53 players drafted for a total of $430 million in earnings. LSU has 48 players drafted for $570 million, so they came in second uh, as far as earnings. Florida had 47 players for 357 million and Florida state had 46 players drafted for $462 million. Uh, so what, so, so from there, what I did, I wanted to see 
who um, who's been the more efficient earner from colleges. And it, I had to have a threshold cut off. Uh, so I went with 10 uh, players drafted since 2011 just to see where that was going to get me. The highest average earners was out of Purdue. They had 10 players for an average of $15 million. Um, if you increase that up, the best earner with uh, t- 29 players was at $13 million, uh, $13.7 million. Um, as far as their efficiency and Louis, uh, LSU, they are actually pretty efficient. They have $11.8 million, uh, per player earning. And then Alabama, because they're the highest, I, I really wanted to see where they were at. They're at about ten and a half million dollars per player. Uh, even based on 72 players. I was going to say the volume uh, that that should probably be lower. So it's a testament to the kind of players that they're pumping out. Yeah. And that's why I did it. I wanted to see where they were because they have so many players Mm -hmm. drafted compared to these other universities and colleges. So uh, some interesting numbers there. Um, And then I, I broke it down even more. I wanted to see first round only because Alabama seems to be having all these first rounders, as we said, five or six are going to go in this draft alone. And they didn't so, win. They didn't even get to the playoff. <laughs> right. So in the first round only since 2011, Alabama's had 23 players drafted. Jeez. The next closest is Ohio State with 13. Uh, so Alabama players have averaged in the out of the first round $26 million per player uh, for earnings. Ohio State had 19, and then Florida State had 19 and a half. So Alabama's first rounders have been uh, fairly efficient. Uh, The most efficient is uh, between Stanford and USC at 37, 36. Really? And and actually, sorry about that. Texas A&M has had an average of $41 million for nine players drafted in the first round. So they were, they're the tops there. Um, I, I had to cut out – I looked at the five and above players round, sure. uh, drafted in the first round because you had some guys with that are one and they had crazy efficiency because there's only one. So, But I, I found it interesting that even with Alabama being so far out with the amount of players drafted in the first round, they're getting paid – Um, Yeah, they're all getting the second contracts is what that's saying. Yeah, that's what that's saying right there. All right. I'll give you some betting numbers because I got them right in front of me here. Uh, DraftKings Sportsbook has over under five and a half first round picks for Alabama. Under is the favorite. So they think five, not six. Mm. It's probably right. Yeah, it probably I can't imagine six. Six is (laughs) that's that's half an offense. (laughs) That's crazy. That's crazy, but uh, that's yeah. what Nick Saban's been doing for a decade. It's yeah, he has not rocket been a, science. Cra- uh, a machine. Yep, he's been the Calipari of, the, of college football. That's for sure. Um, LSU under five and a half is the is a a big time favorite. So they don't yeah. think. I can't imagine. I mean, that's a heck of a roster. That was a heck of a year in 2019. But can you imagine two teams dominating the first round like that? No, everything I've seen has been around four for LSU. I think combined. See here, how about that bet? Over under combined LSU and Alabama ten. Mm, that would be, yeah, that would be interesting. I think they might get to ten. It may if 
if Alabama went five and LSU went five, it's but a third of the first round goes yeah, LSU, Alabama. That'd be yeah, boring. I don't want that. I want some TCU guys and yeah. I want some sleepers. We'll talk about that some more, though. All right. This is good. Well, let's keep going back and forth like this. What else do you have for me? Different position? You want to switch, switch yeah. up here? So I looked at running back. We've talked about running back. <laughs> I'm sorry, we're running backs. Blue. <laughs> we're blue in the face. Um, so I, I went and looked at when was the first running back taken in the draft for the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. Some, really, some really interesting uh, data that I found. So... Two year, uh, two years in 2013 and 2014, there were no running backs drafted in the first round. Interesting. Um, if you look at it by team, uh, in the last 20 years, Buffalo Bills, Cleveland Browns, New Orleans Saints, and the Oakland Raiders have drafted two running backs in the first round <laughs> in the last 20 years. Oh no! And then you had a bunch of teams with one. Um, but the the interesting part that I found was looking at the exact pick number when running backs were taken. Yeah. Out of the last 20 years, four running backs have been picked at number four overall. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. I mean, I don't, I, I don't think it's weird at all. No? There's so much buzz around the top three that the fourth pick just seems to be, become the safer pick. And if you look at the contract, Scott, it's where things really drop, really yeah, drop. I mean, true. if you look at what's happening in 2020, what we have projected, it's going to essentially be, what, about 18? Is that where we're looking at? I'm going there now. Okay. Oh, so this uh, things have been cleaned up a little bit here from a percentage standpoint. So you don't get out of $30 million until the sixth pick this year. Okay. That's a, that's a pretty big enchilada for guaranteed money. But I can understand in the past when this new CBA came in in 2011, the percentages were dipped big time. There were thresholds of that first round where you just lost 5 million guaranteed and mm-hmm. uh, teams are taking advantage of that with, with non important positions. So I can understand the number four pick. Go ahead. Yeah. The, the second overall pick had three, the fifth overall pick had two, and then the 24th pick had two and then a bunch of ones. So I took an average of the average pick number across the last 20 years. The average ended up being around the 13th pick because there's two years that only had second rounds and no first rounds. Mm. I, I decided to just look at first rounds only. And the average is around pick 10 for the first running back. Okay. So the reason I looked at these running backs was when I was looking at these mock drafts, I saw almost no running back ever. The only running back that I really ever saw was at pick 32 with for Kansas City. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, there were some mock drafts with no running backs in the first round. So this may be a year where it's an anomaly and running backs just aren't going to go in See, that first round. And what's funny is I had Marie, Joe Marino from the Draft Network on two weeks ago now. And he, he, you know, he does, he did a ton of work on this. He's a big AFC East guy and he, and he pumped those teams. Those are big running back teams right now. Yeah. Um, these two or three running backs that are slated to be the top three running backs, they're total monsters. I mean, they're, they're going to be game changers. They're, they're versatile. They're powerful. They're going to be able to be three down backs. They're, they're the prototypical running backs that have always been drafted in the NFL. And yet we're not hearing about them until the fifties right now. Yes. That's where right. the mock drafts have them. The fifties. Now 
I, uh, I did a little bit of looking into this myself when I knew we were going to talk about it because what I wanted to do, Scott, is I wanted to find out where the second one was taken because I wanted to, mm-hmm. I, I wanted to look at the years where there was just an anomaly, right? You just had Saquon Barkley right. and then a bunch of guys and there weren't too many of those more, more often than not. It was what we have this year. There's a couple of really great running backs but nobody has the uh, the stones, you know. And I'm not saying they're not. It's not going to happen. I, I, it happened last year with Josh Jacobs. He was not a mock. He was not a, a big board guy. He was on the big boards, but later, the Raiders just said, "Screw it. <laughs> this guy. This guy's going to be our offense, especially yeah. in 2019. And uh, if we got to take him in the 20s, we're going to do it. I, I think that could absolutely still happen this year with a guy like Jonathan Taylor. But it's not going to be likely I wouldn't bet on it. <laughs> you know what I mean? And your data certainly speaks to that. But if you're bored over a cup of coffee one day, just flip, go back a bunch of years and sort by running back on our draft tracker. And you'll see what we're talking about. Every couple of years, you're going to have your standout, your Zeke Elliott. I mean, here, here, here was Zeke's year. Number four overall for Zeke. Then pick 45 was Derrick Henry. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's the draft. That's the yeah. difference right there. And it, to me, that's everything because those are two completely different running backs and Zeke's getting Zeke's already been paid. Derrick Henry has not. That's that's it right there in a nutshell. 40 picks yeah. apart and now 70 million dollars apart. That's that's life as a non pass catching running back right now in the NFL. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's something to watch. I, I wouldn't be overly shocked if a team Thursday night snuck in and uh, and, and took one of these, like I said, just monsters. They, they were super fun to watch in college. And what are we talking about? You know, at at the end of the first round like that, it's not going to be a contract that that kills you. But taking a guy top 10 right now, that's not good value. The second you draft a guy top 10 in the running back position, he's one of the highest average paid running backs in football. Can't do that anymore. Just can't do that. I mean, Saquon Barkley's 30 million guaranteed or whatever it was as the number two overall pick. I believe at the time of the draft. It was the highest guaranteed money allocated to any running back in football. That was before Gurley's contract. So that's ludicrous. And Gettleman's still getting crap for that as, as that, you know, he took that pick over a quarterback. But that's what it is. It's the one time that money really matters on draft night. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, yeah. the, the draft contracts are so low and of such value that it's generally not even worth talking about. Teams can absorb this, these kind of draft picks without even blinking. But when you're talking about that, when you're talking about a, a situation where the average running back salary right now is about three and a half million for the start, a starting running back, it's like three and a half, four million right now. And you're going to take a guy that's going to cost you five as a draft pick. That's not good value. It's just no, not good value. Not. So yeah, you can understand what's going to happen. Keep an eye on that uh, Thursday night for sure. I would expect we have to wait till Friday to see a running back. Yeah, good chance. Yep. Yeah, good chance. All right, uh, moving on. Similar situation. Wide receiver is the big one this year. Sure. I mean, everyone's saying this is, is a, a must-see wide receiver class. So I did the same thing. I looked in the last 10 years. Uh, slightly different look at it, though. Um, so I went through and looked at each year how many wide receivers were taken in the first round. 2009. Uh, had two 2018 mm-hmm. to or sorry 2019 to 2018 to 17 at three 16 four 15 at six 14 at five and then threes and fours after that um 
So a lot of these wide receivers are being compared to the 14 year for, for valid reasons. Good reasons. Yeah. 14 had Sammy Watkins, Mike Evans, Odell Beckham, Brandon cooks and Kelvin Benjamin. So I looked at the 15 draft as well and very, very similar, uh, similar, like we were just talking about with the, um, draft slots in 15 and 14 wide receivers were drafted at number four at number seven at 14 and 12 respectively at 20 and then at 26 28 29 so these picks for the wide receivers were being drafted almost at the exact same time in back-to-back drafts i picked these out because they're projecting five, maybe six wide receivers being drafted in this first round alone. So then from there, I wanted to see are wide receivers being drafted where they're at or are teams going up for them or going down mm. and taking a wide receiver? So out of the last 10 years, I looked and there was about 10 times where teams either traded up or they ended up trading back. Um, and, and took a wide receiver. So last year, Marquise Brown was drafted, and the Brown, uh, the really? Ravens, the, the Ravens actually traded down mm-hmm. um, with um, I forget who it was, but they traded down three spots. Um, yeah, Corey Philly, Col- I believe. Yeah, I believe you're Philly right could have used them. <laughs> uh, in 2016, Corey Coleman. Uh, was drafted. They had traded back and ended up taking Coleman. Will Fuller with Houston, right. they, they traded up to take him. What They traded up one spot. Josh Doxson was part of that same trade, and Washington ended up taking him. Yeah, back to back, that. right? That was, like a, it was. that was like a pick swap. It was, yeah. it was a pick swap, and so you had Fuller and Doxson there. 2014, Sammy Watkins they traded up for him. Yeah. Bills went up five spots to take him uh, at number four. And then in 2014, uh, Brandon Cooks, they tr- they traded up to take him. They went up seven spots to take him. Uh, Tavon Austin in 2013, they traded up to go eight spots to take him. Mm-hmm. 2013, Cardell Patterson, he went up. They went up a lot, 23 spots. <laughs> I know. To take him. So, and then Justin Blackman in 2012 went up two spots t- to take him. In 2011, Julio Jones, Falcons went up 21 spots to take him. Um, yeah, that's one of the so, one of the best de- draft day trades ever, ever. Yeah, I, the, but the reason I looked at these are I wanted to see are, are these wide receivers are they going up for them? Are they just drafting them? And for the most part. Teams are taking these wide receivers that have been drafted yeah. where, where they're at. They're not really going up and taking them um, and, and taking that risk. So they're letting the wide receivers fall where they're at. So it's going to be interesting with the five or six wide receivers that uh, are going to be taken this year at what spots they're going to be taken. Uh, and as soon as one goes, are there going to be a lot? And uh, me personally, having done this, this data dive, I'm going to look and see, is the trend going to happen again? Are we going to see them? Is someone going to go and take them at four and at seven because there's going to be a rush on them? Yeah. Uh, so I think that's going to be interesting to see 
uh, how things unfold. It's really tough to assess uh, the right spot for these wide receivers because it's, I mean, just doing, just with the eye test here, it's almost 50 50 with it is. Are you getting a wide receiver one or not? Um, even, the, even the years you mentioned, um, and, and we can just probably start. We can we could probably erase the 2014 draft, but if you haven't looked at that in a while, you really should because you have to scroll down pretty far to stop finding wide receivers that are, that are still impact players in the league right now. It's a it's just a, I mean John Brown 104 in that in that draft, it, very impressive, really impressive. And there's some names even below that. Um, but if you go, let's start with 2015. You mentioned that 2015 draft, which was on the heels of a draft, which was crazy wide receiver heavy, which is essentially what we're in right now. You have to think there was some carryover from that uh, because there's no way that more wide receivers should have been drafted in the first round than, than what was in 2014. But that's what happened. Here's your names, though. Amari Cooper. Fine. Of course. Although he's been traded. Kevin White. Not good. Nope. Devonte Parker. Okay. He, he was a bust, but he's kind of, he's kind of, he's on a second life right now to some degree. Nelson Aguilar. No good. Brashad Perryman again, second life, but maybe not. We don't really know what we have in him. Philip Dorsett. He's going to need a second life. He's in Seattle now, uh, on his third team already, by the way. So not good. That's, that's not a good list for first round wide receivers. That's a huge draft pick that these, t- these teams took a chance on. And when you're taking a wide receiver there, you're saying you're going to be our new number one wide receiver. That's what you're saying. I mean, I know the money isn't that impactful, but that's what you're saying with with the the value, how valuable that draft pick is to that team. Then next year, you mentioned some of these names, Corey Coleman, Will Fuller, Josh Dotson, (laughs) Laquan Treadwell, Sterling Shepard. Sorry, Shepard's a second rounder. That first round is dreadful. These are back to back dreadful first rounds. Um, 17 is a little bit better. Corey Davis, I think he's a bust. I think they're yeah. going to decline his fifth-year option. Mike Williams is a hit. The, the Chargers hit hit there at number seven. You had three top tens in two, 2017. John Ross, again, he's in Corey Davis camp. He might be a bust. Zay Jones is a bust. He's on his second team. He's going to try to make, make an, a Raiders squad this year. Yeah, but, and that's second a, But that's a second-round pick. Yeah, yep. that's what I mean. Like... On an annual basis, we, we talk this, this this position up because it is of importance. And it's not that it's important. Teams also need four to five of these guys. There's a depth part of it that goes with it. So, But it's, it's almost like if they fall to you and they're the best. Oh, the you best, don't say no. Yeah, you, you don't, don't say, say no. Yeah. But you almost don't want to you don't want to trade up to try to go for those it's guys. It's not the safest draft pick, I think is the best way to say it. It's not the safest yeah. draft pick because when it exactly. goes wrong, it's really wrong. It's really yeah. wrong. That's why I'm going to advocate for it again. Three shows in a row. I'm not mad at these teams. I saw a tweet today that the Dolphins might move up for an offensive tackle. Mm-hmm. I, I toasted my, mid, my lunch beer to him. I'm like, yes, yes, this is what you should be doing. I realize they're not all going to be Joe Staley's and uh, you know Joe Thomas's Hall of Fame left tackles. But you got to get it. whoever the best left tackle in the draft is this year. There should be at least four teams who are about to have new quarterbacks clamoring for that player clamoring for him. I mean, it's just you can get a guy who's going to help your team immediately in one of the most important positions protecting the most important position. It's just a no brainer. The one plus one plus one equals three there. 
that's the uh, that's the best way to look at it. So, yeah, that's that's my takeaway with these wide receivers. It is throw throw a lot of baloney at the wall, and let's hope three of the pieces are worth eating. <laughs> you know, because mm-hmm. that's what you need. You don't need just one. Can't just have one. You can't. You got to have at least two legitimate options. Probably three now. Probably three. That's what the that's what the Patriots have been dealing with. Yeah, they've been a one, one trick pony, and Brady was sick of it. So he's on a he's on a <laughs> roster now that's got a lot of ponies. So yes, right, he does. That's for a different conversation. Good stuff. Keep on going here. All right. Any uh, any uh, any prop bets on how many wide receivers are going? By the way, have you did you come across that? I did not see anything with that. I did see a prop bet with you guessing the order of the first three wide receivers. Oh, interesting. What do, what do you have there? Uh, so they have the odds on favorite are CD lamb, Jerry, Jer- uh, Judy and Henry Ruggs, and then flip Judy, those three lamb and rugs. Yeah. They're at plus 300. Both of both of those order. Hmm. Yeah. DraftKings has Judy and rugs against each other. And Judy is a pretty big favorite, but yeah, it's lamb, right? It should be lamb. So that means DraftKings thinks lamb's going first. If they've got Judy and mm-hmm. rugs together. So I guess that's how I'd pick it. I'd pick, I'd pick lamb, Judy rugs. Is that the favorite? Uh, yes, it is. Well, it's, it's tied for favorite. Judy, Judy Lamb rugs and Lamb Judy. Rugs. Oh, so they've got Judy and Lamb as complete chalk. They do. It's for a push when you when you do it that way. Yeah, when you have the three in a row. Who do we think is going to get these guys? How, I don't know. I've how, seen, how high are we talking here? Are we talking four? I've, I've heard Jacksonville. That's nine. Okay. Um, I've heard. It's got to go. It, there's going to be one before that, right? I would think so. I've heard San Francisco at 13. That's too low. Yeah, I think so too. That's yeah. why well, yeah, that's yeah. why I'm Well, Arizona's I'm, probably getting out at 8 because they have Hopkins now, right? Their plan was probably a wide receiver, but now it's probably not the plan. So, I bet you somebody jumps in there for Judy if I had to guess. Shouldn't the Raiders? <laughs> I think the Jets and the Raiders both should. Do you know who the Raiders starting wide receiver is right now? We just mentioned him. Zay Jones. Zay Jones. Yeah, it's Zay Jones and Tyrell Williams right now. Yeah, that's not good. No, it's not good. <laughs> it's not good. So I expect them. I mean, they, but you're right. I mean, your dad approves it. Maybe they should just sit there and let Henry Ruggs fall in their lap, right? If he's the third guy yeah. and he's going to be there. But I, yeah, I, I think right there, I think eight, I, I, I would if I had to bet it, I bet eight is where the wide receivers taken. I don't think Carolina does it because they're pretty good, right? They're pretty solid. Robbie Anderson, yeah, DJ Moore, have, and Curtis Samuel. I think they like that. Yeah, they they have other needs that they need instead of a wide right, receiver. They got to replace Luke Kuechly, first of all. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, no, I think eight. I think Arizona gets out and maybe the Jets, if I had to bet, would move in there move up three spots and grab a either lamb or Judy. That's a nice pick for them. Yeah. I'm going to say that's what it is. All right. Keep on, keep going. Scott. Good stuff. Uh, the obviously the, uh, favorite for the first overall pick is Joe Burrow. Yeah. Uh, and then you got chase young and then Tua is at plus 1500 for number three uh, f- for the number one overall pick. So where is he? Where, where does 
just to a stock. Do we have that? Mm, Let me see if I can find that for you. They have him at the third overall pick for the best odds. Really? So they think the Lions get out. Yeah. Oh, I wouldn't bet that. I, I don't think I'd bet that. The uh, DraftKings got him under five and a half is the favorite. Under five and a half. Mm, okay. Yeah, that's about what Miami, Miami pick. Huh. Right, that makes sense because Miami, my, it probably won't get past Miami. Wait, do you think it's going to, I think it's getting it past Miami. I think Miami goes to three and takes a tackle. That's what I think happens. And then the Giants probably get out. I think they get yeah. the heck out of there. Yeah. I know that they should, I know that Simmons kid has been the, the, uh, most of the mock drafts I've seen, but they need value. I think they get out of there, but if they get out, are they getting out for Tua? Would it be four? Is that where somebody slides in Jacksonville or God forbid the Patriots? Mm. Yeah. I, I mean, Patriots do not like moving up at all ever, but I mean, this might be the year that they do it. it it's the only reason to watch tomorrow. It is. In my opinion, it's the only reason to watch. I mean, if Tua slips and goes to Jacksonville at nine, that'll be the most boring thing ever. That's not <laughs> what will. I want. Him no. slipping won't be enough because enough smart people have, have told me that he's probably going to slip. So I'm ready for that now. But him slipping and then the Patriots sliding up is 1B. But him not slipping and the Patriots going all the way to 4 or 5 and doing it, that's 1A for me. That's 1A++. Yeah. Plus plus. That's that's the, Twi- the big surprise. Twitter will break. <laughs> yeah, because they... Uh, <laughs> Because it's probably it's not just going to be draft picks. They're going to include probably Joe Thune, the franchise tag guard who they can't even afford. They've got a million dollars to work with. So unless they sign him and and lower that cap hit, my guess is he's a draft day trade. That's my guess. I think Trent Williams is also a draft day trade, by the way. I think the Redskins move him for a pick in in tomorrow or in a Thursday, Friday or Saturday. So I uh, I think and look now OJ Howard, too, has to be considered an option for a draft day trade. Mm-hmm. You know, is he, does he go to the Packers for a fifth round pick? <laughs> right. Something like that. I think it's perf- perfectly plausible. So, I do, too. Yeah. Uh, here, here's an interesting one. Jalen Hurts's draft. Oh, I love talking. This. Go ahead. Go ahead. So they have him at plus 450 for the first round, negative 125 for the second round. OK. Plus 160 for the third, plus 900 for the fourth, and then gets worse as you go. So sorry, say it again. Is second or third the, the better favorite right now? Uh, second at negative slightly, though. Okay. Yeah, slightly plus plus 160 for the third. Oh, plus 160. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So he's not getting out of the second round according to this. Hmm. I think I I think I'd take the third round one. You would. I think so. Huh. I'm trying to think of the early teams. See, there's, there are, I've heard quite a few scenarios where now that wouldn't happen because Miami has three first Miami's three first round picks. So if they're not taking Tua at five, 
they're they're sitting on one of the, on somebody later, right? They're not going to let Jalen Hurts get past thirty nine. Mm, if they let's say they trade nobody, they, no picks, they make mm-hmm. three first round picks, and they're sitting at thirty nine in the second round. They've already addressed three needs. You're taking Jalen Hurts there. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, Even Scott, there's a lot of logic to what I just said, too. There's there a is. ton of logic to what I just said, because he's... I'm, uh, <laughs> I, I think... I think there's a lot of people that, are, that equate his pre-draft evaluation, concerns, pros and cons to Drew Brees. There's a lot of people that are doing that right now. And Miami missed on Drew Brees. That's a, that's a franchise miss for them. I think you can do this. If Vegas thinks yeah. Jalen Hurts, there's a chance Jalen Hurts gets to a hundred and a hundred, pick a hundred or 90 in the middle of the third round, the, the Dolphins should never let him pass with all their draft stock. Never. Yeah, even if they didn't take him at 39, they, they he could potentially get to 56 at that point. I, you, You've sort of convinced me. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's where it stops. Now, the, you know, the conspiracy in me wants to talk about Dak Prescott. <laughs> yeah, I didn't see anything with that. Are we going to talk left-handed quarterbacks at all here? We can. Speaking of the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, you and I, you and I uncovered a, a nice little nugget yesterday when we were talking about Tua, who is left-handed. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the big negatives that come with his resume right now. And, and you're asking, why is that a negative? Um, well, if you do a quick Google search right now, you'll find out that there's not a single left-handed quarterback in football. And I know you listened to a pretty good conversation from Mel Kuyper on one of the ESPN podcasts that basically broke down why that is and why teams kind of gawk at it, right? Yeah, they, uh, coaches don't want to have to deal with a flipped playbook right because they're so used to having a right-handed quarterback that they would have to flip everything and have to think in the reverse did they also did he also mention scott the fact that you probably would have to bring in a left-handed backup quarterback because think about that no, scenario. They didn't. think no, about they that didn't. scenario if if yeah. tua gets hurt and a lot of people are concerned that Tua is going to get hurt then you're going to have to flip your, your your whole playbook again and have your number one wide receiver align on the left side versus i, I not to mention the left tackle versus the right tackle situation, right? Yeah. I mean, you're going to have guys playing out of position where they may have been playing for the past couple of seasons. So it, it, when you start to think about it under those spectacles, it makes a lot of sense. But I don't think it's going to stop anyone from taking them. The reason I brought up Dallas, Scott, is you and I uncovered that Kellen Moore, the Dallas Cowboys offensive coordinator, is a left, was a left-handed quarterback and a halfway mm-hmm. decent one had a nice college career, had a cup of coffee in the NFL, has done a pretty nice job as the quarterbacks. It was, I believe he was the quarterback coach and then got promoted to the offensive coordinator. Um, look, we know the situation with Prescott. Actually, we don't know, which is why it's interesting. We don't really know. There's rumors that they're, they're making strides. Now Jerry Jones has basically said it's not a priority right now. I'm, I'm all in on the draft. I'm all in on the offseason stuff. We'll worry about Dak later. He basically said that verbatim yesterday on an interview. So now we're back to square one with Dak and his contract. I don't know. Does the conspiracy, does the conspiracy theorist in, in both of us want to put together a package for Dak Prescott? 
Yeah, it, I mean, it, it makes sense in, in, a, in a way. I mean... Dallas is at 17. Okay. What, what if Dallas could get the six? What if the Chargers said, mm. you know what? We're okay taking Dak Prescott off your hands and giving him a, a little bit of money for the next couple of years because we're going to L.A., and we're going to a big brand new stadium and we got to sell some tickets. And uh, while Tua can do that, I think we'd rather have a proven guy who we, we know is going to throw a bunch of touchdowns and can run mm-hmm. an offense. And we've already got weapons. You know, they can, they can draft a left tackle, by the way, in this first round because they certainly need some offensive line help. I, <laughs> I, I know, I get it. We sit here and harp on paying veteran quarterbacks versus draft, you know, how, how crazy much value the number six overall pick is going to be. But there's also something to be said about what kind of window you're in and getting rid of Phillip rivers doesn't necessarily mean you're out of your contention window in that division. It just doesn't Phillip rivers. I think was part of the problem, maybe a big part of the problem. Certainly the injuries piled up and that's been a problem for a couple of years now, but I think you put in a viable quarterback a younger viable quarterback and that team can go and we don't really know how far they can go, but this is a team that's perennially in contention with early odds. If you look at their over under for wins on a yearly annual basis, they just look so good on paper. You can't write them off and I'm not going to write them off this year because that there's a reason we all talked about Tom Brady going there. It was a very similar Mm -hmm. offensive weapon set to what Tampa Bay had to offer. So I don't know. Are, there's a lot of red flags with Tua. Are there that many red flags with Dak Prescott outside of the fact that he's probably not elite and you're going to have to pay him a ton of money? I don't know. Yeah, and I've heard some great things on Tua. I mean... Oh, I, I like mean, him. I, I for sure like him. I'm just trying to get Tua in Dallas. <laughs> Stick well, with the plan here, Scott. <laughs> no, I'm, it, it, it's something that Jerry in a way would like because it's going to yeah. generate buzz for the Cowboys and he loves the buzz, yeah. especially if they moved up for him. Um, he, he loves to be in the limelight, oh. so I, I would not be surprised. Should we make that, that our new 1A++? Is that better than the Patriots going up for Tua? Ooh. Dallas trading Dak Prescott for the number six picked and the rights to draft Tua. That's better. That's way better than the Patriots. Yeah, I mean, the Cowboys, they're, I'm looking at Team to draft Tua's odds. Dallas is not even on here. Patriots are plus 1,000. Vegas needs some more creative thinkers. <laughs> they could have <laughs> started. The going, co- they think he's going to Miami. Yeah, of course. Of course. With the, with the odds there. So but, they don't think the Chargers. Right. They have them. Chargers is second best odds at plus 275. I think it'd be very interesting to see that layout now me, me as a as a fan I, I would love to see a trade like that just to you know what we we've talked about how teams don't take enough risks and this is a team that you know a scenario that a team could potentially take a risk and yeah you know high risk high reward this could be a high reward situation um i think so, it, i think it'd be beneficial for both sides i truly do yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, win-win situation. All right, a couple more here, um, and then we'll, we'll finish off. Mm-hmm. So we've got uh, 
How many times will the broadcast experience technical difficulties? <laughs> Over under is four and a half. You know what I and saw today? Go ahead. Four and a half. You said, you know, what I saw today. There's like weather reports coming out. <laughs> I guess in New Orleans, there's supposed to be a, a like a, a huge storm and they're worried about a power surge and losing power. Oh, I mean, I, uh, it's the stuff you don't think about. It's no. un, it's unnatural, but that, that's uh, I guess that's got to be included in your conversation here. Four and a half glitches. Is that just Thursday night? Uh, it does not specify. So I'm going to say it's the whole thing. The whole draft. That seems high. I have faith in the internet a little more than that, but I, are we calling human air glitches? <laughs> Cause right. it's pretty there's easy to leave a meeting in zoom. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there, there's a, there's a fine line that they've got the, the odds on are under. So, okay. All right, go ahead. Move on. All right. Um, some, some kind of goofy ones. Roger Goodell. Is he going to wear sweatpants? Will we even know? I don't know. He could be sitting at a desk uh, with a suit jacket on and sweatpants on, and you would never know. Sort of like the. Do you think the NFL delivered the official podium to his basement? Is he going to be standing there like a like a jamoke behind the actual podium in his basement with with surround sound booze? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I, I guess I'm I'm completely up for a guess on that one. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the he's odds in. On are I guess saying no. He's in the suit. He's in the full suit. Well, they're yeah, they're saying he'll ne- he'll never have sweatpants or pajama pants on at any point. Um, How about and some then, Zubaz? Uh, Does he have that in him? Oh, that would be awesome. Yeah, that's what I want. I want Zubaz. In fact, I want. I want the odds of what teams. Zubaz no, 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 no. It's whatever whatever pick it is. He's got to have oh, all thirty two. That's even better. He's gotta wear, or starter jackets. He's got to wear the starter jacket for whatever team is on the clock. Oh, that would be great. Uh, the other one is what, every draft. Will he, this shouldn't just be a virtual thing. No, it shouldn't. Uh, the other one is uh, will you be wearing a suit at the beginning of the draft? Yeah, I bet that all day. I bet it and all then, day. Um, and then will the NFL get hacked? I, oh I no. I don't think it's going to get hacked, oh, but, no. <laughs> but I mean, crazier things have happened for sure. I feel like they should, they should plant one of those. They should have somebody that, you know, a, a publicity son. They should have somebody join like, like Brad Pitt, just somebody random pop into a war room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Matthew McConaughey pops into the Houston Texans pick, you know? All right. All uh, right. T- t- <laughs> So to clarify, I just saw a fine print here. All, all of these uh, crazy picks are uh, Thursday night only. Four and a half glitches on Thursday night. Yeah, you can have my money. I'll take the under on that. It better yeah. not be. I'm turning it off if there's four and a half glitches. I know. Good Lord. I'll just all right. good stuff. All right. My thanks to Scott Allen. The Athletic, Fantasy Pros, visit theathletic.com slash SpotTrack, S-P-O-T-R-A-C, or fantasypros.com slash SpotTrack dash NFL. Get a head start on your 2020 season as we enter the 2020 draft. My special thanks to the Draft Network's Benjamin Solak. Can't wait to have him back soon. Visit him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak or at the Draft Network. We'll be back soon with another edition of the SpotTrack Podcast.